Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with uh, my sort of uh, stand-in, sit-in sidekick, Doug Rakulski. Doug, how you doing? I am very well. Great to be here. Yeah, well, we're still praying for Tom's mom, by the way. We need a, a regular sidekick, Tom Dorian. His mom's needing some prayers. I'm so. trying to fill those big shoes. He's got huge shoes. But we do have someone with big feet here uh, also, and we're going to welcome our guest. It's uh, Father Emmerich Vogt. And Father Emmerich is from the Western Dominican province, situated in Los Angeles. Is that where you're from, Father? Right. That's where I live. That's where I'm assigned. Right. So as, as a Dominican, you got the OP at the end of your name, right? That's right, yeah. So the and I belong to preachers. the Western province, but I grew up in the East, though. I grew up in Connecticut, but I live now assigned to Los Angeles. Oh, so you're like the fastest-talking, uh, you know, Los Angeles guy. Because they're all laid back there in Los Angeles, aren't they? Yeah, very well, have you become laid back in the process? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I have, because I've been out there for 47 years. But you but you travel a lot, too, and talk. I do, and give parish missions and retreats. That's my uh, ministry right now that I'm assigned to, Western Dominican Preaching, we call We have about five priests who give parish missions and retreats. Right, awesome. Now, I, you were, I was asking you before we started uh, um, uh, our recording our show here the kind of things that you like to talk about, and you were telling me about this concept of Speaking about the Eucharist and an aspect of the Eucharist, what, what 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 do you want to focus on when we talk about the Eucharist? Well, since it's the central mystery of our Catholic faith, but it's a mystery that lots of times people tend to think, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday and then they forget about it. When, for example, one of the prayers at Mass, the 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time says, okay, you've been to Mass today, go live the mystery. You just celebrate it. Mm. So Pope Benedict, when he's in his document on the Eucharist, he talks about the, Dominic, the Eucharist from three aspects, mm-hmm. from the three central aspects of our Catholic faith that have to do with the three dimensions of our soul. So you have the intellect, right, theology. So we want to feed our mind with our faith. We want to grow in our faith, knowledge of our faith. So the mind, theology. You have the heart, the liturgy. Right. And then you have the will, morality. So... He's, the Pope then speaks about the Eucharist, a mystery to be believed, the mind, theology. The Eucharist, a mystery to be celebrated, the liturgy, the heart. And third, the Eucharist, a mystery to be lived, the will, morality. So I like to focus on that aspect of the mystery, about how we're supposed to live this mystery. It's the mystery of salvation. We've been incorporated into this mystery by our baptism. It's the mystery that saves, you know. So I like to speak to people about what does it mean to live this mystery on a daily basis when you have problems and troubles in life, and what's that have to do with the Eucharist? Yeah, and I, I would imagine that when if you ask the average Joe, right, that you're talking to somebody about their Catholic faith, and they'll tell you how many times they go to Mass, and they'll tell you what sacraments they've received, and they'll tell you, uh, what prayers they've memorized, and, and this can sometimes be the limits of their understanding. And but if you ask them about living their faith, living the Eucharist, then they get that sort of dazed look, don't they? We don't always think that way. I guess is what I'm saying. Right, and then I, we don't see the. I go deeper in our faith and what this means for us in our relationship with one another. So Jesus says, "They'll know you're my disciples by your love." So we forget that, and, and somebody gets angry at us, and we get angry in return. And I met a woman recently. I was giving a mission up in Washington State. 
And this nice elderly woman comes up and says, you know, I, I was coming here today, and here I'm driving on the highway, and I'm going the speed limit, 35 miles an hour, and there's a guy in a black truck behind her, so angry that she's not going faster, and he's finally able to get around her and angry, gives her an angry gesture, and, he, and she thought, well, what's the big hurry? He's going to be stuck up there at the red light. So she gets up there, he's stuck at the red light. So she gently tapped on her horn, and he had a fit. He rolled down the window and cussed her out, and she's trying to tap on her horn and point to the back of his truck because on his bumper is a bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus. <laughs> Father Emmerich, I want to take this opportunity to apologize to that woman personally. I know they're probably upset. That was me. I was kidding. <laughs> but we don't see, you know, so when he realized what she was pointing to, he said, Oh my, he slid down in his chair to try to hide until the light turned green. But, you know, things like that. You know, I, I, I met a Catholic man. He's got six boys. You know, he's raising his kids Catholic. He loves sports. He loves getting them involved in sports. And one time he's umpiring a baseball game, and he makes a call as umpire that some nut, another parent, doesn't agree with. The guy's over there in his face. What are you, blind? He grabs the man by the neck, then has it out with him. So here's a Catholic man raising his kids Catholic. Yeah. And they're yeah. going to grow up and say, oh, I love church. Look what it did for Dad. Why, what a difference. <laughs> you know? So if the way I treat you is no different from the way the non-church-going person treats you, then what's the point in going to church? It's supposed to show they will know you're my disciples by your love. So there can't be any dichotomy between my spiritual life, my Sunday Mass attentions, and the rest of life. Right. So as gospel living deepens, my relationships with people and troubled people and troubled situations, and my relationship to God, you know, as gospel living deepens, my love of God deepens in direct proportion. So that's an aspect we forget about. If I can't treat people in a reasonable, responsible, and loving way, then there's something wrong with me. But we got to stop and look at that, don't we? We don't have to kind of give ourselves, maybe this is what you do in missions. It's an opportunity for Catholics to come and start to hear that message and realize and to do a self-examination and wonder if they are suffering from some of those, you know, the world's ills, I guess, kind of overcome us sometimes. Right. If I can't respond in a reasonable, responsible, loving way to trouble, then there's something wrong. Christ came to give us the grace to live out this mystery, the mystery of the Eucharist, to be able to die and rise from the dead today. That's the mystery of the Eucharist, passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. So I can meet a Catholic woman. She comes to see the priest. And she's Catholic, married to a Catholic man. She can't hardly talk. She's crying. So I have to wait 15 minutes for her to sober up, find out what's going on here. Well, she's been married for a year, year and a half or something, and they're going to be moving. She's not part of the decision, and she doesn't know where they're going. And her husband tells her to pack up, and he quotes scripture, wives be submissive. Mm. See, so she's all hurt, and she doesn't understand it. Well, from my own experience, my own weaknesses and stuff, I know what's going on. This woman grew up in a family situation that she didn't learn healthy relationships. I would suspect maybe she came from an alcoholic family. As it turns out, she did. Her father's an alcoholic. And so that's what's going on here. And inside this man is a little boy who's never grown up, and he learned in this valley of tears that you've got to be in control. Right. Nobody's going to control me. I'm the man. I'm in control. And so, so we, there is a principle we learn in the seminary in philosophy that says, whatever is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. So if the receiver is a control nut, and he's a Catholic control nut, and he reads Scripture, he sees the controlling Scripture passages. The other ones fly right over his head. Oh, yeah. Like the Scripture passage that says, Husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loved his spouse, the church. He died for her. Or the night before God was crucified, he got down on his human knees and washes their feet. Now, this is God. 
And he gets up and says, okay, who wants to be in charge? Who wants to be the head of their family here? (laughs) Okay, you better get a bucket because I've come to serve, not to be served. Now, that's God. So this uh, pack up we're moving and wise be submissive is a total misinterpretation of Scripture. So one of St. Augustine's hermeneutical principles, principle of how to interpret a text is, if you take a section of Scripture and you interpret it in an unloving way, you're not interpreting it correctly because Jesus says the whole law and the prophets right, is based in love. All the, they're all given us for love. Love is our primary virtue, the queen of all the virtues. It's the way that gets us to heaven. The way Pope Benedict expresses it is love is the foundation of immortality. And immortality is founded on love alone. So this man's got some control issues. She's got some doormat issues. Actually, she told me she wasn't a doormat. She was wall-to-wall carpeting. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, so she's got the problem, and he's got the problem. Right. Now, she thinks the solution to her problem is for him to change. No, it's for her to change. You can't force other people to change, but you can learn how to command respect by taking care of yours. So those are the kind of principles I like to bring to people in the pew when I give a parish mission, to help them find the problem here with me and stop blaming other people. So you find the problem. So you sit there, you're, you're listening to this mission, and you're sort of caught up in this message, and you realize, wait, there is a problem. And maybe she's there, but he's not, because he doesn't need any of that kind of stuff, right? He already knows the answers. So what does a woman like that do? And, I, and I'm not, not necessarily in that specific situation, but for our listeners right now, I'm sure there's a listener saying, you know, but my husband is this, or my wife does do this, and she's got the problem. Right. Once you realize that there is a problem, and maybe start to realize that maybe you're also part of maybe a different problem, but a problem as well. Yeah. That's the hardest part to see, your part in the unwelcome result. We see the other person's part. This is as far as we ever get. Sure. And that's why Jesus says, take the big fat plank out of your own eye before you're running around trying to change other people. So people will come and say, Father, you know what you were saying today? That's my husband. I didn't come here for your husband. Came here for you, lady. <laughs> yeah. You know, but they don't see their part. Another woman comes up. You know, my mother and my brother are so codependent, so she's come to fix her brother and her mother. See, they don't look here for the problem. They blame other people. So I would tell the person, like this woman married to the control addict, and she, I come, she comes to talk to me, and I suspect she comes from an alcoholic family, and sure enough, she does. So I tell her, you need to go to Al-Anon. You need to learn what's wrong with yourself, how to respond to difficult situations in a reasonable, responsible, loving way, and how not to be a doormat. And that's what people learn who go to Al-Anon. They tend to be codependent people. You know, I've heard it said in Al-Anon for years that people who um, health care prof- – it's very common for a health care professional to marry an alcoholic, mm-hmm. for a nurse to marry an alcoholic. It's so common that nurses – Really, because they, they feel like they're going to care for them or tend, they're going to fix them? Mm-hmm. Or how does that well, – Opposites attract – yeah, or as one woman said, pathology seeks pathology. Okay. You know, some people confuse being needed with being loved. Yeah. Oh, you know, she uh, he needs me. And so they, can, they think that's love. And that's where, of comes course. a dependency kind of relationship. Yeah. yeah. And they don't see that. They have that. So I've, I, I've met a nurse one time. I mentioned this in a sermon. She came up after me. I said, oh, hi, Father. I'm Mrs. Smith. This is Mrs. Jones. Uh, we were at your mass today, and I'm a nurse. I said, you didn't marry an alcoholic, did you? She said, yes, I did, and I divorced him and married another one. Because they don't know there's anything wrong with them. I don't drink. They can be very self-righteous. Yeah, but you attract yourself people who you feel responsible for. Interesting. That's very interesting. Now, so why is it that people – I mean, I I can figure out an obvious answer, like why you don't want to know something that's wrong with yourself. But why do you think it's so difficult for people to see even their own um, faults or their own needs – 
uh, problems in a relationship, and, and it's always the other's fault. Why? Why? I think it's because we're insecure inside a little boy, a little girl that hasn't grown up yet and has the emotions of a child, and those emotions haven't been healed or they haven't been appropriately affirmed as children. So I always recommend to them a wonderful Catholic psychiatrist, Conrad Bars, Dr. Bars. He wrote a book called uh, Healing the Unaffirmed. Right? People, people go up, grow up, and they're not affirmed adequately. So it's recognizing deprivation neurosis. Mm. They grow up with this neurosis. They look like adults. Inside's a little child, not adequately affirmed. And such people cannot have relationships. They take hostages. So I, I met a girl uh, who I knew years ago, and she grew up and married this. I went over to visit her family, and her fiancé's there. They're getting married next week, and he's jealous that I'm there. Mm. And I was her wow. teacher years ago. He's right. jealous. So she marries him. And he's so possessive, she can't go to sing at her cousin's wedding. She Stifled. Can't. Yeah, so because insecure people can't have relationships, they take hostages. So, and, so that's a wonderful book by Dr. Bars, Healing the Unaffirmed, Recognizing Deprivation Neurosis. So that's why I like people who come to missions, you know, to understand that maybe there's a problem here with themselves that they've never seen before. They, blame, they sort of have some inclination, you know, but they need help in seeing it more clearly. That's beautiful. Well, there's more to talk about here. We're getting into uh, clinical studies and we hear all <laughs> these medical words and terms, but I know we're going to get into now. Let's take a little time in, in, uh, on the second half of the show and talk a little bit about this idea of uh, living out this mystery of the Eucharist and some of the great things that we can do and do that and some of the things the, the church offers in that regard. Before we do that, I want to take a little break. Um, and we want to remind folks at home, we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email wherever you are. Tell me what's going on in your life and something you'd like us to uh, talk about on the show. And do that at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski. And this is another great moment in church history. Isabel Flores de Oliva was born to a large family in Lima, Peru in 1586. Even as a child, her holiness was apparent. It is said that a servant of the household once saw her face transformed into the likeness of a rose, hence her nickname, Rosa. At her confirmation at age 11, she took the name Rose. St. Rose knew at a very young age that God was calling her. Even as a teenager, she devoted herself to prayer and gave up many of the comforts of life in order to unite herself more fully to the suffering of Christ. Having read a biography of St. Catherine of Siena, she began to take her life of self-denial more and more seriously, even to the objections of her parents and friends. She first fasted three times a week, then offered a daily fast. This led her to abstain from meat and perpetuity. When she began to be admired for her beauty and devotion, she cut off her hair. If ever she doubted her path of suffering and self-denial, she was encouraged by visions, revelations, visitations, and comforting voices. She received the Eucharist daily, deriving from the Blessed Sacrament the grace and consolation to carry on. At the age of 20, St. Rose took a vow of virginity and joined the Dominicans. With permission of her order, she moved into a small grotto built in her parents' garden and lived there in a spirit of prayer and penance. While St. Rose spent much time in prayer, 
she still found time for acts of charity. She sought out the sick, the poor, and the forgotten in her community and brought them to her home to care for them. St. Rose never lost sight of the power and effectiveness of self-denial when it was offered up to God. Her entire life was a testament to the total, self-giving love demonstrated by Jesus' willingness to suffer for our sins. She wrote, Our Lord and Savior lifted up His voice and said with incomparable majesty, Let all men know that grace comes after tribulation. Let them know that without the burden of afflictions, it is impossible to reach the height of grace. Let them know that the gifts of grace increase as the struggles increase. Let men take care not to be stray and be deceived. This is the only true stairway to paradise, and without the cross, they can find no road to climb to heaven. St. Rose of Lima died in 1617 and was the first person born in the Americas to be canonized as a Catholic saint. Her feast day is August 23rd. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe talking to Father Emmerich Vogt. And he is a, a Dominican out of the Western Dominican province in Los Angeles, California, telling us all kinds of great stuff about ourselves that maybe we didn't want to know. <laughs> do you find, uh, Father Emmerich, do you find that a lot of people, while they may not have the alcoholic husband or they may not have the, the great dependency or the, that I'm going to fix him or her, syndrome or whatever, but we all have some kind of little sense of a need to explore who we are and what what we're doing, that we all are essentially imperfect in some way. Right. So we say as Catholics, you know, we suffer from original sin. St. Augustine sees a woman, St. Augustine born in Africa in the 4th century, sees a woman nursing her newborn baby and the other child in a rage of jealousy over this new thing, getting all this attention. He said, there's the original wound. Yeah. This child doesn't know jealousy. Nobody taught him. No, it doesn't, he can't pronounce it, but he's jealous. And I met a woman recently at a parish, and her, I knew her son when he was a little kid. Well, there he is all grown up now. But she was saying how he's the firstborn. Then she brings home her daughter, and she's nursing her daughter and stuff. And after a while, her son says, okay, time to bring her back. You know, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> he's jealous. So we're wounded. All of us are born with the wound. We spend our lives trying to cover up for this wound in ways that lead to codependency and addiction. Right. Now, one of the purposes of the Catholic Cafe is to really to be nice to people, help people, make them feel a little better about themselves. And I imagine if you've listened to the first, you know, say 12 or 15 minutes of what we've talk- talked about here, you might start to look at my- yourself and start saying, I've got problems or I've got issues or I may have. How do we make them feel a little better? How do we help them to see the Eucharist as this opportunity to live the mystery? Well, I, you know... Christ says where two or three are gathered, right? So like the Trinity, God mm-hmm. is the Trinity of persons. We are creating the image of God. And so um, what does it mean to be a person? Well, St. Augustine comes to his understanding by contemplating God. God's the Trinity of persons. God's not isolation, uh, solitude enclosed upon itself, a Trinity of persons. So to be a person is to be in a relationship to other persons. And that's how a person gets healthy. You can't get healthy alone by yourself. Nobody's going to buy the Bible go home and read it and say, I'm saved. Right. But you get saved by being with other people where your patience is tried and so forth. And the Eucharist comes in, and the fact the Eucharist is the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. We rise from the dead today. So the episode with Lazarus in the Bible, 
that Lazarus is ill. They send him a message, your friend Lazarus is ill. He waits till he dies, till he comes. And he's not just doing something 2,000 years ago. He's teaching us about the faith. He's going to allow all of us to die so he can call us back to life mm. in this life. So what does that look like, practically speaking? That looks like, uh, like I met a woman who's married to a man who's really cheap. All their married life, cheap, cheap, cheap. And he made it know when they were first married, it's his money. So she lives this, right, all this married life. And her girlfriends feel sorry for her. They buy her a new dress or something. And they say, well, this is her cross. Well, that's not the cross. The cross gives life. I have mm. come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's a false view of the cross. So St. Augustine says that the, the cross, self-denial, if it's Christians, good, self, real self-denial, is evangelical. It evangelizes you. So this woman needs to die. She needs to live this Eucharistic mystery, which is the passion death. So she's going to suffer her own passion and death, and she's going to rise from the dead. Because she's going to die to her fear of her cheap husband. She's going to die to her wimphood, sit down with him and say, you know, this is not right, and I'm not living this way. So if it's your money, it's your house, it's your food, you can cook it, you can clean it, you can bank it, because I'm going to be taking in laundry to take care of myself. Proper self-love is a part of the gospel call. And wow, I, you know, I, I'm listening to this and thinking, wow, you, you probably start a lot of arguments in the household, <laughs> <laughs> but they're done in love. Yeah, right. but still, you see people get healthy, though, because yeah. her husband, inside him is a little boy who's afraid. That's why he's right. cheap, you know. Inside her is a little he girl. He might even welcome for her to stand up and say, wait a second, just because it kind of helps him. Yeah, not at to, first, to I'm sure, because yeah. we're all weak, we're wounded people, and uh, weak people take criticism as rejection. But the more we can grow, that's why it's important for the other person then to come back and love mm. the person until they can finally get over this and they can take an honest look without, with themselves without being threatened. Right. So it's like the alcoholic going to AA. He's scared to death. He's scared to death. He's got to go without his drug and be with other people. And he's got a lot of uh, emotions he's never dealt with in his life without his drug. And now he's got to face those emotions. He's got to be with other people, which is scary. But then after a while... He comes to see people who have got his same issues, and they're good to him. They, right. they know all his issues. They still love him. And now he's able to die and grow a little more. That's Christian faith. You die, you rise from the dead. And then he's able to get up and say, Hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic. Shame-free. And that freedom came from a social group. That's beautiful. Because there's hope even in all these. There's no salvation outside the church. You can't be saved praying by yourself in your room and stuff. It doesn't work. Just like the alcoholic is not going to buy the AA Big Book, go home and read it. Oh, I'm sober. No, get sober in a community. Now, you, you do mention and, and talk about in, in all of your missions, your talks, and even here you've mentioned alcoholism, Al-Anon, 12 Steps, and things like this. You, you obviously have a connection in some way uh, to, to, the, to that Yeah, well, process. I met a woman years ago who was a recovering alcoholic, and she said you should, lo- you should learn um, the steps you would love the wisdom of the 12 steps so I've studied them and, and tried to live them over the years and, I, and I've met people maybe they don't come from an alcoholic family I met a woman who's got a lot of emotional problems she never did react normally to any emotional situation so she went to Emotions Anonymous and there mm. she learned to live this, they have the same 12 steps as Al-Anon and AA and I met a wonderful man Roy K who realized he had a lust problem his drug wasn't alcohol, it was lust. So he went to AA and said, you know the problems you have? I've got the same problems, but my drug isn't alcohol, it's mm. lust. Can I stay? They said, stay. Well, then, many years, he died a couple of years ago, but he started Sexaholics Anonymous for people who got a compulsive 
lust addiction, like St. Augustine. Sexually active from the age of 15, on he went. Mm-hmm. And so Sexaholics Anonymous is a wonderful program with people with lust addiction. And Emotions Anonymous for people with emotional problems. But they find that health, being with people in an anonymous fellowship, that's how you get healthy. As Jesus says, where two or three are gathered. That's how AA was born. Two drunks wanting to be sober did work. But when they got together, AA was born. And you've seen um, this 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 twelve step process work across the board in all these different avenues, even for people who might even not recognize that they've got a serious right. issue brewing somewhere deep down in the recesses. And the twelve steps come from two thousand years of lived Christian experience. There were wonderful, devout Christians who helped the founders to develop these principles, Protestant and Catholic. Have you had? Um, uh, a lot of feedback from people who have who've gone to these missions or maybe investigated the the 12-step process for themselves and maybe opened up all new avenues of hope, you know, through the Eucharist, through living their the mystery of their faith. Yes, I have many many people including myself. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And so now if you were talking to someone who's listening out there who's just kind of on the edge right now, who are thinking maybe I'm scared to talk to my husband or maybe I don't want to broach this with my wife. I don't want to tell her about the lust problem or, you know, I don't want to call him an alcoholic, right? You know, what do you tell that person? What do you, how do you give them a little hope when they suddenly realize that there is a problem, even with themselves? Well, how do we sort of get them to kind of step over that line to sort of start the process of healing? Well, I think they should find somebody who has the same problem they have, you know? So if they think they've got an emotional problem, stuff like that, well, they can look up on the internet, emotions anonymous, you know, and maybe go to a meeting, you know. And as a priest, if I meet somebody who I think um, has a problem in one of these areas, then I can put them in touch with somebody, Joe Blow or something, you know, and have them take them off to a meeting because they're scared. People are scared. So to meet somebody who's got your same issue, that's, what, that's how it works, for example, with AA. For an alcoholic to recover, he's got to have an apostolate. He's got to go find somebody who's still yeah. suffering and help that person. So, And it, what makes it work is you're helped by somebody who has your problem, not somebody who's some goody two-shoes who doesn't have your – no, somebody who's been there, done that, and they've had this same problem, and that gives you hope. And that's what happens in a meeting. People share their experience, strength, and hope. It gives them hope. Oh, my gosh, other people have done this, and they found the way out, so maybe there's hope for me. That's fantastic. And that's what we want to leave people with is the sense of hope. Sense of hope that comes to us from the Eucharist, uh, through the church, through the mysteries of our faith. Father Emmerich Vogt, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I do want to remind people that he does have a website if you want to know more information about this. Go to www.12-step-review.org. That's www.12-step-review.org to find out more. Father Emmerich, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Can you close us in a little prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith that you have given us, which is the gift of new life. And you have incorporated us through our baptism in the mystery of salvation, the central mystery being the Eucharist. Help us to live our Eucharistic faith on a daily basis, dying to evil in our lives, so that we may rise from the dead in this life and give glory to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. 
There's always room for one more at our table. 